The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning and welcome uh, to our sermon today at Tower View Baptist Church. It's good to have you. Uh, if you're visiting online, so to speak, and this is your first time, especially welcome. If you're a regular attender, regular viewer, uh, especially if you're one of our Covenant uh, Church community members, thank you for joining us. Uh, I say this almost every week, but uh, we wish we could do this more in person. Uh, right now, as you're watching this, several people, uh, several dozen people, right, uh, admittedly, are during, doing our drive-in service. So we're especially thankful for that. But we realize in all these dynamics that many of you are at home and uh, for your safety or, or just uh, the safety of your family. So we especially thank you for your patience. And I'll, I'll say this every week because I just want to get this in our bloodstream. Uh, it grieves us that we can't meet physically, but we thank God from Midwestern Seminary and others who allow us to do this opportunity today. So thank you so much for just tuning in. It's not, uh, you're probably screen tired as most of us are, uh, but I pray this morning, I pray as you watch this, that God's word is alive to you and it's real to you. Not because I'm speaking, not because I studied, but because God's Holy Spirit is illuminating your heart, even through a digital screen. And if you're not a Christian, I just want to super encourage you to hang on. We're going to talk about a little bit today about what it means to know Jesus Christ. If you died today, seriously, do you know where you would spend eternity? Our website is towerviewkc.com. And if you're not a Christian, I just want to encourage you to go there. At the very top is a link called The Gospel. It takes less than two minutes to read through. It's the most important news you'll ever read as you do. Thank you for joining us. We start this morning. I'm going to read our verses. We're in James chapter uh, one again today. We're continuing our series, Street Level Faith. Today's sermon is titled Street Level Faith. God, why can I not blame you? Or why can I not blame you, Lord? It's in James 1, 12 through 15. Let me just read that for us out of the ESV Bible. And this is what it says in God's word this morning. James says, he's writing to a scattered group of people. He said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who are tempted. Verse 13, or to those who love him rather. Verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, well, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil or with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together, and we will start this morning as we study our text. Father, as we come before you, we are once again coming to you in a time that is not unprecedented in your providence and sovereignty and economy. But Father, for all of us, as we are now entering, I think, the sixth week or 40th day of lockdown or stay-at-home orders, even as some places open and some remain closed, Father, you are the constant. You say in Malachi 3.6 that uh, we, you changeth not, as the old King James I memorized, Lord, and therefore we are not consumed. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's nothing that ever 
changes you. And next week, as we'll see, there's no shifting shadow within you. So Father, in these times of shifting sands, we thank you that you are the steadfast rock. And Father, as we look at this text this morning, I pray you speak not only to Christians' hearts, but those who may be tuning in, those who may be invited in who are not Christians. As Father, we ask this question, Lord, why can I not blame you? Why, why can I not just point the finger and say, God, it's all your fault? Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who despite all of our faults, all of our sins, transgressions, shortcomings, whatever you call it, despite us, that he came for your glory, for our good, to die on that cross, take the wrath, be buried, and rise again. Father, that is the greatest news that we have. Father, we pray these things today in your name for all who are watching, not only Tower View members, but all those friends that may be joining us. We pray this is encouraging, it's edifying, and it points back to the risen Christ. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a story told, and, and I think in these days, uh, many of you are despairing, as most of us are. And during this COVID-19, maybe you've asked that question, am I despairing? But missionary Adriana Judson, after years of seeing no fruit in his missionary uh, endeavors in Southeast Asia, was once so distraught, depressed, and he was despairing so much, he dug a grave, like literally dug a grave, and he sat next to it for the next few days. Yet we're told in his journal that God sustained him. Judson said, if I had not felt certain that every trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have suffered my sufferings. Let me read that again. Quote, if I had not felt certain that every trial was ordered by, and we can put God's infinite mercy and God's infinite love, I could not have survived my trials. What we need more than anything else in these times is to be regularly reminded that we have a big God who is greater than all of our fears, all of our failures, and certainly all of our trials. The biblical verse that I want to bring to your attention is what Job said in Job 23.10, but God knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. And there are some weird sort of stories, if we're honest, in the scripture. There are stories that are graphically honest about the kind of things that are happening now to us and things that happen in a sin-broken world that we've all lived in for the last several thousand years at least. And the scriptures, there are some confusing cries, especially in the Psalms where they say, how long, O Lord, how long will you put us through this? And one of the things I appreciate so much about our study of the street-level faith in James, is that James really does bring a sturdy gospel in uncertain times. He reminds us that God does sustain us. G James believes that because of the grace of God, we don't have to deny it, we don't have to avoid it, we don't have to explain things away, we don't have to put on a fake smile and pretend everything's just okay. The truth of 101 that we learn in the book of James is that whether we're despairing, we're distraught, we're fearful, whatever we got, we can bring a real heart of real questions and real struggles before a God who is awesome in his grace, awesome in his patience, stunning in his wisdom, and amazing in his grace. You don't have to dress yourself up and make yourself acceptable to this God especially if you're a Christian. You can bring yourself as you are and you can bring your questions to him, the one of which, of course, we're studying this morning. Lord, why can't I blame you? 
So what questions afflict you today? What questions do you have for God today? That you would say, God, it's your fault. What wonderment enters your mind as you think about your faith, especially in these uncertain times? If you could stand before God and say, this is one thing, God, I just don't get. You're going to have to explain this one to me. Or as Willis used to say on that old show, you got some explaining to do. This is one thing I don't understand, Lord. What would you ask him? Well, friends, I think the big idea today out of James 1, 12 through 15 is simply this, is that trials, the times we go through, the questions we have are God's unannounced exams to reveal our motivations in our faith. Am I serving God despite my questions or do I want God to serve me even if he does not answer me? Christian, your pain is not random. Your suffering is not meaningless. Your trial is not without God's purpose. God is making all things new and he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6 reminds us, has a plan in your pain. And so three questions this morning, I think that we can draw from the text as we answer this question, Lord, why can I not blame you? And, and we see these unannounced exams that come in the form of hard times as trials. Question one is this, does it really benefit me to obey God during these times? We'll see that in verse 12. Secondly, does God really mess with people? Does he really toy with people? We'll see that in verse 13. And then finally, in verses 14 and 15, God, if all this is true, why do I still sin? I mean, God, if I'm following you, why do I still trip up as though I have not been saved or redeemed or sanctified by your grace? Real questions. And James is writing again to an audience under heavy trials. They have real suffering and they have real questions. But let's look at that first question, verse 12. Does it really benefit me, God, to obey? As we answer the overarching question, Lord, why can I not blame you? Does it really benefit me to obey? Look back at verse 12 and I'll read it again for us. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, sometimes you're trying so hard to serve God and it seems like your reward is confusion. Your reward is trial, chaos, and suffering, doesn't it? I love the words of Psalm 73 as the psalmist struggled with the same things. He said, surely, quote, surely, for the, there's no reason I've kept myself pure. Surely for no reason have I kept myself pure. In other words, Lord, you know what? What's the point? If I'm just going to mess up, if, if there's really no benefit to obey you, why can't I look at you and say it's all your fault, God? And so listen to those words again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. See, James is returning after kind of a parenthetical last week uh, from the verses we studied. He's returning to the key character quality that God is seeking to produce in you. Steadfastness, endurance, perseverance. And that goes back to verse 2. And you can look there up in your Bible. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various times. For you know that the testing of your faith, verse 3, produces steadfastness. Remember, when we talked about steadfastness a few weeks ago, it was like being fixed in a direction with a firmness of purpose. And God is working to develop character within us, isn't he? And the principle we talked about is God will take us to where we have not intended to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. By his grace, by his calling, by the power of the Spirit in you, Christian, if you truly are a believer today. 
But James adds one more layer here, I think, to the discussion. And so look what he says. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. You can't understand God's call to you without factoring in eternity. Did you notice that in verse 12? He has stood the test and will receive the crown of life. That's exactly what James does here. It's, it's worth it to obey because there's such a thing as eternity. This isn't it. You're not just dead and go under six feet. Listen, if all there is here and now, there's no such thing as eternity, then what is the game? As 1 Corinthians 15 says, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, in normal vernacular, let's just live it up, party it up, and, and, and just go smash ourselves with whatever we want to, because what's the point? The game is today, for most people though, is just that. Get everything you can, get in this moment, enjoy everything you can, because you can't take it with you. And so we go after all the temporal, we go after all the material and relational pleasures we can find. We put ourselves like a McDonald's world, those old commercials, it's a me first world. We only live a short time and we might only get a point of, of what everything we want. But James, and indeed the whole of scripture has a different view, doesn't it? It's a radical worldview that there is such a thing as eternity. That as resident aliens, as Peter calls us Christian, we are passing through this world. And yes, we are to be the best citizens of this world, but at the same time, we're reminded in Colossians that our focus is not to be on things here, but on things that are above, Colossians 3.2. And we're reminded that there is such a thing as eternity. And God has made an amazing promise to his children that they that live steadfast, a focused, gospel-centered, kingdom-focused life, there is a goal. There's a, there's a prize at the end. It's called the crown of life. There's a glorious eternal life of reward that will last forever. Jesus said it this way, he who endures to the end will be saved. So pastor, you're saying he, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like evolution, right? Survival of the fittest. Whoever can outdo his competition is going to win the race. That's not what we're saying at all. Clearly, that's not what James had in view and all the other scripture writers, including the Lord Jesus himself. What we're saying is that by God's grace, he who called you by his grace will sustain you under trial in his grace and will carry you into eternity through his grace for all his glory, for his purposes. It is by grace. You don't well up within you as some popular songs I heard on the way over here say, well up within me faith. Friends, you have nothing apart from Jesus Christ and the grace imparted to you through the power of the Spirit and applied to you. You have nothing. Yet God says in his grace, he will carry you. What is the motivation to obey? The motivation is that there will be a day when everything you have suffered, every trial, every sadness, every wrong, every injustice will pale into non-existence in comparison to the awesome eternity that you're living forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Spirit, the blessed Trinity, three in one. Do you get it? This is but flash of a moment. Now, church and brothers and sisters, it's hard for us to think about that in these days, if we're honest. It doesn't seem like a flash, does it? That it's going to be like a twinkling of an eye, but be honest. I mean, this last week, as you struggled through some relational difficulty, maybe in home, maybe your, your house is kind of like ours at times, we're just in each other's space too much and we get outside, but we're just ready to bust outside the walls and 
It didn't seem like a flashing moment these trials were passing through. Be honest, this last week, you and I and all of us have forgot eternity. You didn't say to yourself, yeah, it's okay, I can't get along with my family or my spouse or my kids the way I'd like to. And you know, we struggle so much because we're sinners because I have eternity. In fact, I bet there are moments you said quite the opposite, and I did as well. But that's exactly, though, what we need to do, isn't it? This is tough. We remind ourselves this is hard. We weep, we break, we, we, we have remorse, but there's an eternity. There's an eternity of foreverness, an everlastingness with God. And when I get up tomorrow and, and maybe I can't stand up and I lack the faith to face another day in this world as it is, I crawl to on my knees of faith and I press forward again and again and I confess to the Lord, Lord, I am weak, I am confused, but your goal, the crown of life, is worth it. The reward for obedience is worth it. Not that I'm obeying to be saved, Lord, but obeying to please you. And what a sweet pastoral reminder James tells us to talk about with people who are suffering as these people are suffering. Hear this. If there's, any, if there's an eternity, your struggle, especially in these days, is completely worth it if you're a Christian. If there's an eternity, your investment of obedience is the best investment you can ever make. There is a forever with the people of God. And yes, Christian, it is okay to weep to our Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't, I just, Lord, I don't want to blame you, but what do I do with this, Lord? Help me through this. It's completely okay. He welcomes you to come to him. But as you weep, remember there's no moment, there will be a moment rather when you will weep no more. There will be a moment when your eyes will be dry and you'll experience a life you've never experienced before and you will experience it forever. You will receive a crown of life, not because of your obedience, you will receive a crown of life because of the grace and the perfect obedience and the work and the person of the God-man, the risen God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Non-Christian, I told you we were going to talk about it. This may sound funny. So pastor, you're telling me if, if I just hang on there and keep on trucking that, you know what, I'm eventually going to get to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. Listen clearly. If you're not a Christian, you are dead in your sin. There's nothing you can do to please this God. You could be the strongest, the fastest, the most sincere, the most good works, the most money. You could be the most faithful filled person of the things of the world, and it's like filthy rags to this holy God. For in the only way that you can be saved to be forgiven of your sin is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath, the judgment, the ju righteous judgment of God upon your head. It's not a mantra, it's not a secret heavenly password, but it is an acknowledgement that he is holy. There's none like him. You are separated from him. It's a humbleness where you come and say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you and I deserve the worst, but in you I find that I can be welcomed and forgiven. If that's you today, I don't have a magical prayer for you to pray, a sinner's prayer. I just call you to repent and believe the gospel. I plead with you. If you have questions about that, drop it in the comments below. Message us, our phone number across there. Let us know. We'd love to follow up with you. Well, that's question number one, is that he says, 
that is there a reward for my obedience in the days I have questions? Yes, there is. Question two, does God really mess with people? Does God really mess with people? Look back at verse 13. James says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So the second question is, and I don't mean this in irreverence, but does God toy with people? Does God mess with people just as a divine heavenly experiment, psychological experiment of sorts? Are we part of his focus group to use modern language? Is the sovereign God setting me up? Perhaps the very God who calls me to be holy, the very God who speaks so strongly about sin, perhaps he's putting me in situations that, in temptation. I mean, after all, pastor, I mean, isn't he sovereign? He's good, but, but is he setting me up? I mean, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're just walking into some God-ordained trap that, that's going to just clamp on your feet? Do you ever feel in the midst for a moment that maybe you've doubted the goodness of God because you feel God is against you? Notice what James does here, though. He, does, he makes a very critical distinction which we need to have in our thinking. God will try you for the purpose of your development. He will grow you. He will refine you because God knows that only through that experience will the true righteousness, the growth, the sanctification ever come when you come to an end of yourself. But for most of us, and I admit myself as well, our problem isn't that we lack self-confidence. Our problem is that our self-confidence is all too sturdy. It's what we back on. It's what we fall back on. But in fact, we think we're more righteous than we actually are. We're more holy than we actually are. We fall into the thinking of ourselves as the fount of wisdom instead of God himself. Ever been there? And so God pushes beyond ourselves. There's a wonderful uh, quote by J.I. Packer. I encourage you to look up uh, this in his book, Knowing God. He talks about there that God's plans of pushing us way beyond ourselves are so that we would seek the help we only find in him and know the grace of growth. That's kind of a summary. But God will take you where you haven't been in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. But here's the distinction. James 1.13, we're asking that question, is God toying with me? Can I blame God for this? God cannot, according to James, and God will not ever tempt you to sin. He won't woo you. He won't seduce you. He won't attract you to sin. That's a violation of his very character and blasphemous even to bring into conversation. James says God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. God would never do that. Let me just take an aside here. Well, pastor, wasn't Jesus fully God? And in Matthew 4 and other places of the Gospels, wasn't he tempted? Yes, he was. And that's another sermon, but I want to tell you in short, it is not a violation of Jesus' temptation against this text. I'll, get, I'll post some links down below for further reading, but I want to just clear that up because a lot of people have great, honest questions about that. But maybe you're sitting thinking, well, I've never accused God of taking me to sin, but maybe you have. You see, when you say, if I had a little more understanding spouse, it, it wouldn't be so irritable. Or if my kids were just a little bit more compliant, I would have a better life. Well, there's so much contention in my family. You know, God, if my neighbors wouldn't party all the time during this time, you know, I could ju it just brings out the worst in me. Or if my pastors were just a little more understanding, our man, my boss, he's so demanding, especially during this COVID time. You see, if you look outside yourself and if you point to those types of circumstances, 
Are you not indicating and indicting that God has brought those things into your life? In a subtle way, if we say those things, we're actually saying, God, you just chosen me a better spouse or mate. If you'd give me better kids, if you'd give me a better boss and definitely better pastors, then I would be the person you'd called me to be. Just change it, God. And I think in many ways, what James is saying, and I think we do this, is we blame God for my sin. So is God toying with you? Is he messing with you? No, he would never do that. This is the holy God. He would never do that. He is a loving, gracious, and faithful God to his promises. He's not going to do that. It's a violation of his character and everything he reveals. But what he does say is this, and we're getting there in the next question, is that it all starts with us. We do not blame the devil for our sin. We don't say, man, if this was changed in my life, God, if you would just quit bringing these circumstances in my life. Guys, as the last question we're going to get to in just a second says, Sin is not God's problem. Ultimately, it is ours. God is not the author of sin. We ourselves are responsible for everything that comes our way. Non-Christian, that may sound funny. Well, pastor, are you saying that, that those things in my life that I caused the sin as my childhood when something bad happened to me? Friend, look, I'm not. But what I am saying is this. You have sinned at least one time. And the Bible will say in James chapter 2 that he who breaks the, the law in one place is guilty of breaking it all. So whether you think you've only sinned one time when you lied on some test or tax form, that is enough to separate you from God forever. Yet God didn't leave you there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal and everlasting life. And there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, except that of the risen Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Non-Christian, is God messing with you? No. If anything, he's drawing you to himself. And if you have any desire to be a Christian, let this be an affirmation, a stamp of approval to say, seek him. Seek him, because as Paul said in Acts 17, he's not far from each one of us. So does, is it worth, worth obeying? Yes, it is. Verse 12. Is God toying with you? Verse 13, not at all. So can I blame God? No. The final question is this, question three. If all this is true, then why do I sin? If those other things are, are what they are, then why do I still sin? Well, let's look back at verse 14. James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings Forth, what? Death. And so he says, here it is. Why do you sin? I mean, you may even say, God, I mean, pastor, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. I go to church or drive in church or online church, whatever. You know, I, I try to attend my Zoom small group. What's going on here? Well, look what James says. He says, each person is, is tempted by his own desire. James is helping us to understand something that should be very humbling to us. It should really knock us down. I mean, just allow yourself to be humbled by this as I was preparing this message this week. This is a spiritually good for you to open your heart to this truth right now. James says this, it's only ever the evil inside of you that hooks to the evil outside of you. It's the stuff going on that God has repelled and 
against that is attracted to the evil outside that God is also repelled against or, or hates. It's hard truth to accept, isn't it? Because we want to believe we're better than we are, more righteous. We want to believe that somehow, some way, the biggest struggle of ours is just simply some mitigating factor outside. This is why when people say, you know what, people aren't necessarily born bad. They're just born in bad circumstances. Look, friend, the Bible is very clear. From the moment of conception, God has created our inmost parts, Psalm 139, but Psalm 51, along with verse on verse on verse on verse, tells us we are born in sin. And so James says something very, very important. He says, you've been lured by your own desire. And this is, this is consistent with other authors. The Bible developed a very extensive theology of the heart. In fact, at least according to my study in Bible works, over 900 passages, at least, of Scripture that tells us our heart is deceitfully wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9, above all things. Who can understand it? And what Scripture says is that the heart is the control center of the human being. It's the casual core of your personhood. It's what, and what it means is this. It's a very important spiritual thing. Is what rules your heart will control your words and your actions. What rules your heart will control your words and your actions. And so sin is always a heart problem, isn't it? It's not just a behavior problem. It starts with the heart. And that's what he says. Look back at the verse. He says, but each person is tempted, verse 14, when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. You see the fishing metaphor here? It's springtime, it's crappie spawning season. Many of you, uh, catfish and, and all the stuff, Smithville Lake, Missouri River, pick your, pick your place. Well, the enticement here is like a fishing analogy. The enticement is the attraction of the bait. Listen, the lure is inside of you. You're actually lured away. You're actually enticed. You're, you're driven forward by your own desire. You got to get that. And that means every time I personally say something I should not say, Every time I do something I do and shouldn't do, every act of impatience or lust or greed or vengeance or jealousy or anger or anything not fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, of all those things, it reveals once again the condition of my heart. So why do I still sin? I mean, Pastor, if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, the third question, why do I still sin? Because there's still something even under grace deeply wrong with me. I want things in a way I shouldn't want them. I crave what I should not crave. I would rather win an argument than have unity and peace. I'd rather indulge my appetites than live in a healthy, godly way. I'd rather fill my life with more material things than I actually need than to live my life in pursuit of the work of God's kingdom. That's true for all of us. My problem is me. M-E-Me. -me. And that means, as I said before, the thing that you and I need to be rescued from is just simply us. But notice the warning. Notice the change here in verse 15. He says, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin never gives life. Just look at that again. Sin brings forth death. For the wages of sin, Romans 6, is death. But the gift of God is, is, is sin. The gift of God, Romans 6.23, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin is destructive from beginning to end. So is it worth it to obey? You bet it is because there is an eternity. 
Is God messing with you? Is he setting you up? Is he toying with you? Verse 13, he'd never do that. He's a trustworthy, holy, holy, holy God. So why do I still sin? Verses 14 and 15. Because there are still within you desires that are out of step, out of accord with God's will and his ways and his plan. So where does all this leave us as we close? I know when a pastor says that, in conclusion, 27 years later, here we are. But seriously, where does it leave us as we close? It leads us to get down on our knees, Christian, one more time. Every day, every time we come to face ourselves, in ourselves, as ourselves, even under the grace of God, to say, Father, we are a desperate people in need of help. We are desperate people in need of help. Lord, we so easily lose sight of what is important. We blame you. We often fail into the delusion of our own righteousness. Father, forgive me. Forgive us. Forgive our church. Forgive our land. So this morning, won't you once more give us the grace, Lord, to say, Lord, I need your grace. More as much today as I needed it when I first believed, as the old song says. Help us in our struggle, Lord, not to run away from you, but to run to you and find help that we can only ever find in you. And Lord, we won't blame you. We'll acknowledge our sin and we pray for the grace to move on. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, I don't know, once again, I mention this almost every week, why this, this COVID thing has come. We know we live in a sin-filled world. Generally speaking, the effects of sin continue on even today. But I have to think, as I think wiser people than myself have said and wiser pastors than myself has, have posited in these days and taught on in these days, is God cleaning the church? Is God bringing the church, even our church, Tower View Baptist Church, with as many blessed people as we have in leadership and ministries that reach many and help many? And thank you for working, even in these days, church, to help so many hear the gospel and loving your neighbor and just being there for folks in time and praying with them. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. But I have to think, is part of the reason God has slowed our society down and even our church calendar and our usual routine down is because some way, some shape, some form, we looked at him and said, God, we're doing everything you want us to do. It's your fault. Why don't you come and make this right? Guys, I would encourage each of us, uh, fathers, as, uh, if your wife and your, your young kids are with you, I would encourage you as a family to repent of any sin in your life, as a father, as a husband, as a spiritual leader of your home. If you're an elderly person who is, is single or your spouse is long gone, I would just encourage you to take whatever sin you have to the Lord. Pray for our church. Lord, if there's sin within our ranks that is known, then may we confess that. Lord, if there is unknown sin, unintentional sin, just like in the Old Testament, Lord, we bring you in the name of Jesus all that. Lord, we want to be a faithful church. And Lord, I thank you that you've raised up faithfulness at Tower View. But Lord, if anything during this time, we don't blame you. We thank you that you've pointed things out to us. But bring us to a point where we see you as greater than anything else. And guys, I think if we do that, we're doing very, very well. Non-Christian, thank you once more for joining us. So grateful you did.
Can I encourage you once more to cast yourself, to hurl yourself, H-U-R-L yourself, on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In these days, if you were to contract this terrible virus or, or pass away just because of excitement, you can step out of your house. Are you ready to walk into the next step? Are you ready to face the judge of judge, the king of kings, the Lord of lords? Because once you pass out of here, there's no second chance. It is destined for a person to die once and then face the judgment. Turn to Christ. He is enough. And Christian, let me encourage you. You may be distraught, but God has got this. He's with you. He's with us. May we, we walk together with him. Let's pray as we close. Father, as we come before you, we thank you so much for your grace. Grace undeserved, grace unmerited, grace wider and deeper as far as the east is from the west, found only in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, during these days, would you show us the sin that we've been lured and enticed by? Would you show us, Lord, not that we just check another thing off our spiritual list, like those old Sunday school things we brought our Bible, did this sort of thing, but Lord, as a daily heart check, would you remind us of our sin and give us the grace to humble ourselves to repent of that sin, not for salvation if we're in you, but for further growth deeper and deeper in the plan and the purpose you have for us, not only as individuals, but as families and as a church. Father, we don't know what the days ahead will look like, if we'll ever be able, at least safely in the coming days, to assemble as we'd like to assemble. But Father, spiritually, we may be absent from the body, but together in Christ, we are drawn and yearn together and tied together in heart with one body, one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, guys. Thank you so much for watching.